Bullshit. Pretend for a moment we've entered a parallel universe free of bullshit and full of bold solutions. That's what the No BS Marketing Show is all about. I'm your host, Dave Mastovich. Our guest today is Shep Hyken, a customer service expert, author, and speaker. One of his books, The Amazement Revolution, was a bestseller, but that's only part of his amazing story. He's the author of several other books that offer advice about retaining customers, like Moments of Magic, which leverages his more than 20 years' experience in customer service. The Loyal Customer, a lesson from a cab driver, which narrates the secrets of a taxi driver who builds a loyal customer base, and we want to hear more about that from Shep. He's also written The Cult of the Customer, create an amazing customer experience that turns satisfied customers into customer evangelists. The book outlines a strategy for leading customers and employees through five cultural phases, from uncertainty to satisfaction. He also did an amaze, amaze every customer every time, 52 tools for delivering the most amazing customer service on the planet. He's also achieved CPAE status, the National Speakers Association's Hall of Fame designation for lifetime achievement in the professional speaking industry. And let me tell you, as a speaker, to even get the CSP status is hard, but CPAE means you are a Hall of Famer. He's been interviewed on Fox News, where he's weighed in on several customer service scandals, including complaints against Trump University, the General Motors recall, the UPS and Amazon delay in holiday shipping, and Comcast's refusal to close accounts at customer request. Shep, we're excited to have you. Welcome to the show. Hey, man, great to be here. I, I don't know. There's nothing else for us to talk about. I think you've covered my life. Well, <laughs> that's the starting point because I gave the big, exciting things and you get to tell us how you got there. So, uh, you know, you talk a lot about the need to amaze customers. Uh, but before we get to that, like I said in the intro, you've done so many amazing things yourself. Why don't you uh, just walk us through your educational background, your career journey and how you got to this point and did all this cool stuff? Sure. I, I live in St. Louis, Missouri, still live there, grew up there. Uh, back when I was about 10 years old, I started to do magic tricks. And 12 years old, I did my first birthday party magic show, first paid performance in front of an audience, uh, 20 little six-year-old kids terrorizing me, uh, me trying to t keep control. Tough, toughest audience I probably ever had. But I came home and my parents were having dinner that night, my brother, sister, my mom and my dad. And my parents said, what are you going to do after dinner? My mom asked me that. And I said, homework. And she goes, no, you're going to write a thank you note. And I, ah, good idea. And that was the first lesson in customer service. The second lesson came literally seconds later when my dad said, great idea. But here, let's take it to the next step. Next week, after they've received the, the thank you letter, I want you to call them on the phone. I want you to thank them again. And then I want to I want you to ask for feedback and see if you did a good job. I go, great idea. So second lesson in customer service, show appreciation first. Second, get feedback. And then we'll throw a little marketing and sales in there because that's part of what service is. That allows me to then ask the question. My dad said, if they loved you, then ask about this little boy's sister that you said was running around. Maybe she needs a magician for her party. Or maybe the parents in the back of the room who had brought their kids. Could you get their name and phone number so you can call them? That's exactly what I did. Uh, picked up the phone the following week, found out they were happy, asked when the daughter's birthday was, booked that one, asked for the names and numbers of the people in the back of the room. The woman gave them to me, and I just started picking up the phone and, as I like to say, smile and dial. <laughs> and... Uh, Within about a year, I was doing eight to ten magic shows a week. Uh, it's uh, and I it's all started because 
my parents said good customer service and pick, you know, pick up the phone, call, say thank you again, get feedback, send the thank you note. So, you know, I worked in nightclubs when I was in high school and college and, you know, continued to do birthday parties for a few years, obviously, after, you know, age 13, 14, 15, 16. But that was a good background for being able to get up in front of people and talk. You know, I, I'll never forget. I, I mean, I would be nervous in front of the kids and then I got comfortable and then I was asked to do an adult show. I was nervous again. And after doing a number, I don't know how many, probably 30, 40 of them, I started to feel comfortable. Uh, I remember my first speech in 1983 was to about 150 people and I was nervous. And the second speech and the third speech, and it took a while. And then I got a big audience, 800, 1,000 people. Oh, my gosh, how are they going to – how am I going to connect with them? I was so nervous. I was practically shaking. But here's the thing. I just pushed through it, and I knew that if I did the best job that I could possibly do, if I prepared well, there's one thing I knew I was uncomfortable about, getting up in front of people and not being prepared. So I don't know if it's ever happened before. I know I've been more prepared in some situations than other others, but I know what it's like to go in. Uh, you know, uh, I think about it when I was in high school and I used to have to take a test. If I didn't study for the test, I was terrified with what the result would be. So maybe that crossed over into my performance that if I don't prepare, I become terrified and I'm not going to let that feeling happen because that's one feeling I don't want. The other thing, uh, and I know it's kind of off topic, is that and the uh, concept of preparation and, and making sure I'm ready and not being nervous, I need to go to bed early the night before I speak. I can't stay out all night and then expect to get up and just nail it. My goal is to give 100 and if there, you can give 110 percent, I want to give 110. I will never get up in front of an audience with the idea that I am not going to be doing or at least trying to do the very best possible speech I can ever deliver. So anyway, I, I was, as I mentioned, doing the magic shows was great as a background. So I went to college. Uh, while I was in college, I got into the oil business, which meant I pumped gas. And actually, I started pumping gas for this company back in high school and went to work for them full time. And I went to work for them in the operations department during the day and on the weekends out in the gas stations. And when I graduated, they put me on the road as a region manager. And within a few months, they said they're selling the company. And a few months after that, I didn't have a job. So I went back to what I knew how to do best, get up in front of people. But I didn't want to be a magician. I saw a couple of motivational speakers and I said, I bet I can do that. And that's really how it started back in uh, way, way back in 1983. So I I did that, uh, went, went to the bookstore, bought a book called How to Master the Art of Selling Anything by Tom Hopkins. And I started selling me. <laughs> and, uh, I read a book by Zig Ziglar. Actually, didn't read the book. Excuse me. I listened to audio cassettes uh, by Zig Ziglar. Way ahead of uh, your time. Yeah, yeah, I know. Zig Ziglar was the most amazing, amazing guy. Uh, and the tapes were about goal setting. And so within a real short period of time, I'd read that book and I listened to those tapes and I started internalizing it and I created a plan. I was only 23 years old at the time. So I created a plan from age 23 to 32, which is a 10-year uh, amount of time. And I knew how much money I needed to make a month for the balance of that first year. And then I said, and they were primarily financial goals. I said, this is what I need to make the second year and the third year. And I worked them all the way up to age 32, how many bookings that would take, how I wanted to raise my fees along the way to make this happen. And I put together a very, very good plan. And by about the age of 30, almost 31, I'd hit my 32-year goal, which is pretty good. Um, so I was about a year ahead of myself. 
So from age 31 to age 40, another 10 years, I created another 10-year plan. And then I hit those goals. Actually, hit them pretty I, – I, it wasn't that I was setting them low. I thought they were really – you know, they were attainable, but they were going to make my life good. And I was married, started to have kids at the time. And that was really important to make sure that we made a comfortable life and started saving for the future. About the age of 40, or actually a little before that, when I hit those goals uh, in my 10-year plan, I started to look at a new way of, of thinking. Rather than just monetary, let's take a look at lifestyle. So sometime in my early 40s, rather than doing 100, 120 engagements a year uh, out there speaking, I started to think about, boy, I'd like to be stuck like a guy in the 70s, you know, and then eventually the 60s. Today, I like to do right around, oh, 50. If I did four speeches every month, that would be 48. That would be the perfect schedule. Uh, so anywhere between 45, 50 speeches a year is great. A few more, a few less isn't going to bother me. If it goes much more on either side, I have to do one of two things, either work harder to get business or raise the fee to slow it down. So really, that's kind of where we are. Really you know? interesting. I, I'm going to go back a little bit. First of all, really cool that your parents gave you some tremendous advice there as a 13-year-old, 12-year-old to, to do the follow-up. Because if you think about it, that is the basis that you probably apply in your speeches and to your clients. Every and speech. I mean, it's and you know what? That's almost any business. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's retail, if it's B2B. You know, somebody buys something, you say thank you. You show appreciation and you do something that would get them to want to do business with you again. You know, you get the feedback. We all want feedback. I always joke. Yeah, back in the day, my father said, I want you to ask this question on a scale of zero to 10. What's the likelihood you'd recommend us to a colleague or a business? You know, the, the NPS. No, there was no such thing as NPS back in the early 19. Well, actually, back when I was a kid, that would be in the 70s. But um, it was fun to get that feedback. And this is what else was cool is my dad said, ask what their favorite tricks were, you know, because I probably did eight or 10 magic tricks in that, you know, 45 minutes or an hour that I was there. And the parents would tell me. And after a while, he'd say, are there any are there any tricks that nobody ever mentions? Come to think of it, there are. He goes, OK, you need to get rid of those tricks and find something that's better than those. Wow. Great idea. I, that, that was an unbelievable lesson. And I don't know if he was intentionally teaching me about constantly improving or process improvement. But, you know, I look back today and I go, man, that's what big companies do. <laughs> he, yes. I was. Well, tell me what tell me about him, because it sounds like he was a marketer at Harvard. Did he have his own business? Yeah, he's entrepreneur and uh, he had his own insurance business. Um, he, I got, he did so many different things when he, his last job before he passed away, he owned a company called Landshire food service, which if you go into all the, you know, seven 11s or convenience stores, you might see these microwavable sandwiches, yes. uh, back in, I don't know if they still have Landshire, but that was the brand. And he had like a territory. So it was kind of like a franchise type setup or a distribution setup. So he had a territory and he had a nice building, lots of trucks little warehouse. So uh, he was good. He was good at what he did. We're with Shep Hyken, Hall of Fame speaker and consultant, business leader, all kinds of great stuff already on the No BS Marketing Show. You talked a little bit about preparation as well, and you mentioned something as simple and basic as going to bed early. But I really love the whole point about preparation because I think it's something that uh, people claim they do but probably don't dedicate enough discipline to. 
Right. Figure out what what the habits are that you need. And and I and when I say habits, I'm not talking about the seven habits of highly effective people. No, I'm talking about what is it that you personally need? You know, I know that if, uh, you know, I jokingly say, you know, when I'm in, when I'm doing a speech the next day, it's in bed by 10 and in bed by 10 doesn't mean uh, 10, 30, 11 o'clock. I'm heading back to my hotel room. It means literally I go to Las Vegas. If I'm only there for one night, my concept of 10 is to stay on central time. So about eight o'clock at night, I'm heading to my room to go to bed because I know I'm still going to get up at like 3.30 in the morning. I know that's going to happen, but I'm going to get up and I'm going to be fresh. I'm not going to be tired. And these people pay me good money to do what I do. And I need to make sure that I do good work. And if I do good work and I work my hardest to make, make it, as I mentioned, you know, if I, uh, and I'm, I'm side, tracking. You know, I mentioned this earlier that, you know, I want to do the best job I can, but I want to tell you where that comes from. I know I can't be faulted. Uh, if for some reason I don't hit it out of the park that day, it isn't because I didn't prepare. It isn't because I, I you know, did something wrong. Uh, Richard Burton, famous actor who many young people have no idea who that is. The guy died a long time ago. I barely know who he is. I just love the quote. So I studied him. But he would go on stage night after night, and he was known to say, I want to be so good tonight that I cheat the audience that was here last night. Great that means every day he's trying to be better than the day before. Now, whether he gets there or not, we don't know. Maybe he has the performance of his life. And I kind of feel that's what the best people in any business, uh, any sport, do. I mean, um, you know, I'm a big hockey fan. My St. Louis Blues, I love them. They haven't won a Stanley Cup, but it's not because they're not trying to be the best they can be. You know, uh-huh. I think every night they go out there and, and they put their hearts into it. Uh, and I think that's what we do in business, too. Shep, the discipline that you show uh, by just hearing this, the stories about the goal setting to be at 23 years old and to set that goal 23 to 32 to hit it at 31. So then you set a whole next set of goals from 31 to 40. Just really impressive. Talk to me about goal setting because now you hear so many different acronyms tied to goal setting and so forth. Back when you were doing that, how did you learn that? Was that another thing your parents taught you? Well, again, I went to see, uh, I saw these speakers. Uh, Zig Ziglar was one of them. And that's when I went uh, wanted to buy his tapes. Uh, so I saw that and I learned about it and I bought into it. I said, this, this is a reasonable way of thinking. Um, I'm very disciplined in that way. Every quarter, I take out my list of, I have goals, goals for the next quarter. I have goals actually in my, I've got this little, uh, I, I went to a program called the Strategic Coach up in Chicago, Dan Sullivan. Uh-huh. I've been going now for 17 years. I still go once a quarter. And once a quarter, I created my own form based on his tools and a couple of others that I wanted to incorporate into it. And the form has my quarterly goals, my year-long goals, my 10-year goals, and my lifetime goals. And if you open up on the inside, it's what do I want to accomplish this week? And at the end of the week, I look back and say, what did I accomplish or what were the highlights? Not always tied to the goal, but maybe something happened that was really great. And I, for the, for the longest time, I would say booked another speech with so-and-so book. And then it's like, had the best dinner with my daughter, had the most amazing weekend with my son. And those are now becoming, you know, just kind of like my lifestyle goals uh, started happening as a result of being successful financially. I kind of feel like the things that matter most 
uh, as much as I love getting those bookings and I need to get those bookings um, and don't want to take them for granted, what really counts are the uh, great moments in my life that make me feel great. And those are, you know, th- that's why I don't own a bucket list. I don't have a bucket to put anything in because I don't need the bucket. I'm not saying I've done everything in the world that I want to do. Um, I know there's many exciting experiences that I'm going to have, but there's only one thing that I would ever want more of, and that's time with my wife and my kids. I love it. I often joke like a lot of people talk about working for the weekend was a song back when you and I were coming up yep. and then people talk about, talk about their vacations. And I say, I want, I've always wanted in life to enjoy a Tuesday in March and a Wednesday in April. I don't want to just be looking for when that vacation is or just be planning on Thursday saying, Oh, thank heavens the weekend's coming. And I like your style there because I feel the same way. It's about your lifestyle and your quality of life and family is first in my life as well. So it's, uh, shared shared paths there on that goal. Talk about other than family, who are your mentors and how they've impacted you? Sure. Um, I've had a number of mentors. Uh, people mentor me and they don't even know they're mentoring me because, you know, I just listen to what they say and go out and do it. But some formal mentors, um, I had a friend of mine, Bud Dietrich, he passed away. He's, gosh, he was 91 or 92 when he passed away. I've known him since I was a teenager and he was a magician, but not just any Remember, I did magic and the magic was great to get me in front of people. Well, when I decided to become a speaker, Bud said to me, uh, you know, it's the same thing with the magic show. If you work 40 hours a week at getting the gig, you're probably going to get the gig. And what he was saying was the job isn't doing a speech. It's getting a speech. And he was a great supporter and just a great friend. And uh, I, I used, jokingly called him my illegitimate father, but he wasn't allowed to call me his illegitimate son. So, <laughs> <laughs> but he was a great mentor and, and just uh, he put me on the right path when, especially when I needed it. Um, I mean, you know, of course, I could the cliche, my mom and my dad obviously mentored me, but there were two other gentlemen, uh, one of them still living, Kim Tucci, 75 years old. And or I should say 75 years young, the guy has so much youth and vitality and his partner, John Ferrara, these two guys and John passed away a few years ago. These two guys treated me like their little brother. And uh, they are my big brothers that I never had. I have a younger brother and a younger sister. But these guys were the big brothers in my life. And I'll never forget. Um, we were uh, I used to work for them. And when I decided to get into that gasoline oil business, I talked to them about leaving my passion, which was entertaining, working in nightclubs. And they kind of walked me through the process of what that would look like and why it was important to maybe consider that as as what I wanted to do with my life. And, of course, when we were exiting, when the company sold, I went back to them and said, guys, what do I do now? <laughs> you know, And they kind of helped me through that. And I, I said to them, why are you so good to me? I mean, you've been nothing but amazing. My closest confidence, my friends, you're like my big brothers. And I'll never forget, Kim said to me, it's because we love you. Now, think about that. The L word, you know, uh, these are two, you know, Italian, Sicilian tough guys uh, who own restaurants. And they, I, I idolize these guys as success and friends. And to this day, uh, Kim Tucci is probably one of the greatest dads in the entire world. I used to watch. He was divorced. I used to when we were young, uh, he'd say, hey, I got to go pick up my daughter and take her to school and go with me. And every morning he'd pick her up. I mean, it was just amazing. Anyway, taught me great things. But. What was really cool is then they said, and we hope that when you find somebody younger, you can help them too. How's that? I mean, it's really cool. And so 
you know, I miss John tremendously, and Kim, Kim and I still see each other probably once every couple of weeks. That's Shep Hyken, Hall of Fame speaker and author here on the No BS Marketing Show. Are you using Audible yet? Shep was using cassette tapes on listening to Zig Ziglar, and it changed his life. So you can apply Audible now and get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash no BS. Try a book like Amaze Every Customer Every Time, 52 Tools for Delivering the Most Amazing Customer Service on the Planet by our guest, Shep Hyken. You can download it for free today. Go to audibletrial.com slash no BS. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash no BS for your free audiobook. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Shep, when we dig into episode two, I want to have you walk us through the books and talk about some of your other experiences that we were talking about pre, uh, before we went with the taping part of this. But to go back to the episode one, I want to Close episode one with the answer to the question about a learning experience when maybe you were a BS employee, a tough boss, or your communication wasn't what it needed to be, or you let a client down. Looking back, when do you think you might have been guilty of some BS? What did you do to fix it? What did you learn from it? Sure. Well, I still do it all the time. I'm a tough, in the office, I'm a tough communicator. I tell people when they come to work for me, uh, to, to use your phrase, BS, there's no BS here. If there's something that's a little bit wrong, I don't have time to dance around the topic and make you feel good about it. No, it's like, here's, here it is. We got an issue. Now let's move on. And I'm really good at doing that. Uh, I will tell you though, what happens when somebody lets me down more than uh, once or twice in a short period of time, uh, I get a little bit of a micromanagement attitude. I got to kind of look over their, their shoulder and I make, I can make somebody nervous. I think if there's a flaw in my communication style, it's that I'm very open I'm very fair. I'm real honest, sometimes to a flaw. But then, uh, you know, sometimes I have a tough time letting it go. <laughs> I share that same uh, challenge. So talk to me a little bit about what you've done to try to overcome it, because it, it's similar. I'm a big predictive index guy, and I'm guessing RPIs, oh, yeah. RPIs mm-hmm. might be similar, because that's what it even says in my PI. It says that uh, I'm slow to trust, but once I trust, I, I give all in. But then once you start losing that trust, I right. tend to get a little bit micromanaged or negative right. like you. So what do you do to fight that? Well, so um, fire the employee. No, I just, <laughs> no, I joke about that. I think uh, I probably give too many chances, if anything. But, you know, at first, it's like, let me try and help you. At second, it's like, okay, let's let's get this right. It's, basically, I have this philosophy. If it's something simple, I should be able to teach you one time, and then that's it. We don't have to deal with it again. So everybody gets to make whatever the mistake they're making is. They get to make it once if it's simple. Uh, If it's something that you really have to know my business. You know, I've got a new employee that just started working here this week. You know, I know it's going to take her three to six months to get up to speed. So I am very, very uh, easy to get along with for the first three months, tolerating a tremendous amount of, of, you know, errors. Hopefully there won't be any, but there are going to be some. And and then but uh, you know what? Once we get past that point, you've got to be able to fly without, you know, uh, you know, that's like mother pushing the little bird out of the nest. It's like it's your time to fly. You don't want to hit the ground. Mm-hmm. Makes yep. sense. Hear more of my interview with Shep Hyken on part two of the No BS Marketing Show. <laughs> 